And I'm using the old crappy headphones today. I said, we're using the laptop speakers, so that's even more awesome. You know, honestly, for whatever nice new equipment I've I've had or I've had guests have, it ends up being like the person with like the Apple laptop mic and, you know, sitting outside next to the road sounds the best. Like there's, <laughs> I think it's all, this is all a scam. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm having one of those days. This thing is like, I literally taped it together this morning because the new headphones that I had, of course, shit the bed. So excuse my language. <laughs> We're all fine. Pretty much here. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 15 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I often wait briefly for the motorcycle to pass by and then bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, I'm chatting with Christopher Owens and Doug Miles. They're the entire team of Right Quick Roasters in Los Angeles. Right Quick is a young roaster in the industry in business entity only. Christopher and Doug have already made names for themselves in the coffee industry and have a history of collaborating. Their resumes are littered with well-regarded coffee names like Intelligentsia, Handsome Coffee Roasters, and Coffee Bar LA, to name a few. I met Christopher and Doug at Coffee Fest LA, where they were kind enough to give me a sample of one of their recent roasts. During the upcoming episode, they mention a Honduras that they're particularly proud of, and while I'd normally give you that detail at the end of the show, they also mention that they have a very limited supply, one burlap coffee sack's worth to be exact, so I want you to be able to jump online and order while you're listening today. Shop for that coffee and others on rightquick.la. You can go directly to that link or detour through roastwestcoast.com where you'll find that link in this week's newsletter. Not to mention, so much more. This morning, I've brought my coffee thermos out to the beach. The waves are rolling in, and I'm imbued with a sense of calm, because I know it's all good and... It's going to all be all right, as long as there's coffee in this mug. Now is the time to double-check your own coffee mug. Make sure there is more than just one last sip, and settle in for this interview with Doug Miles and Christopher Owens of Right Quick Coffee Roasters in Los Angeles, California, on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. see you guys have a uh, coffee over there today i was drinking this morning our our ethiopia bearder chef that we have um but currently right at this moment i am not drinking any coffee i was uh i really enjoyed the coffee you guys were giving out at uh the coffee fest um where we met that was the honduras yeah and that's actually i reached out again right after that so uh, I would say welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, uh, guys. I appreciate you being here. If you would, uh, for me and for the audience, uh, just let me know your name so that people can identify your voice and maybe what your what your role is at Right Quick Coffee Roasters. Uh, I'm Christopher Owens, and I guess my role is Director of Coffee slash Founder at Right Quick Roasters. And I'm Doug Miles and Head Roaster. And I- sort of founder <laughs> and then we do everything else yeah so it's just the two of us so we do all the jobs but you're not strangers to coffee this isn't like your first job in coffee 
So just to kind of build up a little bit of history, I'm wondering if you could just share with us what you had been doing in coffee before this, uh, before Right Quick came about. And if you wouldn't mind confirming, just how long has Right Quick been around? How long has this been marinating and in, in, in business? Well, you know, probably mid-pandemic is when we really started it. The idea had sort of been rolling around for a little while before that because uh, we also are part of a company called Las Lilas Coffee. I met a f- gentleman named George Pope, whose family's had a coffee farm in El Salvador in the um, San Miguel region since 1850, 1851. And he approached me to create a roasted brand to basically to make the farm economically viable. Um, they were struggling. He wanted to save the family farm history. And, and so we had been working on that, but avenues are tough when you only have one origin to sell. So that was when we decided we wanted to keep the family brand and, you know, keep that intact and not sort of detract from it. So we decided let's start this other mark to have a more full menu offering and, and have two different avenues to explore in terms of what customers want and need. We have, we have a catalog that we can, we can give them. Roasting the same coffee for like a year was really boring for me. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I pushed it. It was like, he had the idea and had it kicking around his head. And I was like, please, (laughs) please. I I mean, if you just roast one origin, all the time, it get, it's going to get boring no matter what origin it is, for me at least. Sure. I mean, I have a lot of regular listeners, but for new listeners, kind of that coffee, uh, roasting coffee is like a production. It's like a factory line to some extent. I think there's this kind of magical aura around it from maybe the outside, but there's a lot of just physical, repetitive, you know, you dial in your coffee and that's fun, but then I've got to create the same consistent uh, over time. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll tie it back to uh, then, like, what is your coffee history before Las Lilas and before Right Quick? Where were you guys at in the coffee world? Well, I've worked, I guess I started, you know, quote unquote, for real in coffee um, in 2004 at a company called Gimme Coffee out of New York. They had just opened their um, Williamsburg location, which I believe is no longer there. And I started working there with my friend, Mike White, and left New York, moved to Atlanta, worked for Counterculture Coffee, left Atlanta, moved to San Francisco, worked for Ritual Coffee Roasters. And that's where I started roasting. Before that, I was barista and customer relations, that kind of thing. And then left San Francisco to move to LA and helped open Intelligentsia's Venice location and worked at Venice and then worked in Pasadena and then left that to found Handsome Coffee Roasters with Mike uh, Phillips and Tyler Wells. And then we sold Handsome and I took some time off and that's when I met George. And then now we're back. Yeah, for me, I quote unquote, got like a real coffee job in 2007 at a place called Mix in Ashland, Oregon, where I went to college. And they were a, a Stumptown account and had their coffee. And it was my first time having quote unquote real coffee blew my mind. 
Worked there for a few years, became manager, left, and went to Seattle, had a little little bit of a coffee break, went down to LA, down here, and applied at uh, Intelligence at Silver Lake every day for a few weeks uh, until they got annoyed and hired me. They transferred me to Pasadena, where Chris and I opened Intelligence at Pasadena together. That's where we met. I think it was a pretty instant, like, oh, we're friends. Yeah. Um, that was 2010, maybe early 2011, late 2010. Yeah, 2010. Worked there for a bit, opened Coffee Bar LA, ran that, which was the exact opposite of Intelligentsia. I only hired my friends, and we really pushed the limits on having a good time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's when Chris founded Handsome with Mike and Tyler and I put my notice in at Coffee Bar and gave him a call and said I'm I'm a free agent. Chris took me out to lunch and said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to try roasting." And he said, "Okay," which immediately made me scared. <laughs> Started roasting at Handsome. Did that for a while. Went back to Seattle, had a barista job at uh, Togo Coffee with Brian Wells. To be honest, just partied for a few years <laughs> after a couple of intense jobs with Handsome and Intelli. Came back down here and worked at what was then called Take Flight. It was the head roaster there. Take Flight had to change the name to Tectonic. They're currently running as Tectonic and head roaster for Tectonic for a while. Left there. And I had met George by that point and the writing was a little bit on the wall that I would work for them at some point or with them. Started roasting for Los Lilas and then the idea kicked around for, for right quick. Sure. Two, two follow-ups on that one is, is we may have crossed paths before because I used to go to that Pasadena Intelligentsia in like early 2011. Uh, when we first moved to LA, I lived right up in Altadena uh, down the road. For sure. Man. Yeah, I think we... I remember, I believe we left, Tyler and I left, because I think we formally announced Handsome 2011 at, I believe it was 2011, yeah, 2011 at um, SEA Houston, I believe that was Houston. And so whatever that sort of spring, summer, I forget when it was, would have been when we were done at Pasadena. Yeah, it's always a small world. I'm always amazed at the connections people have, not just in coffee, but always. Uh, the second thought I have just for the audience is, I don't know this yet. I'm going to Google it. Uh, you guys might know, but we don't have to get into it. But if Take Flight had to change their name because of Michael Jordan, I think that's phenomenal. That's almost better. Than <laughs> uh, I, I can't really speak for sure, but I don't think so. <laughs> no, I know why they had to change their name. And I'm think I have one more year left on that uh, NDA <laughs> where I can start talking shit. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. You both have had kind of West Coast and East Coast industry experience, uh, at least a little bit. Do you see differences in those two coffee worlds? I mean, obviously, you're, you're ingratiated in, in one side of things now, so there's some recency bias, but I, I started in the Midwest. I, my first cup of coffee was in Chicago, and then I moved to New York, and then I came to to the West coast and the vibe was always certainly different, but I wasn't in the industry. So I'm wondering from your perspective, if there is a difference kind of between those two, if it's 
uh, like the rap wars, if it's like, uh, you know, East coast, West coast, uh, sports, you know, any, any reflections on that? I, you know, I think, I think every scene or location or community inherently thinks their stuff is the best. So you're going to get that sort of ego no matter where you go. I think it's been so long since I was in New York that it's, it's hard to, to comment now because so much has happened since then. And I think to that point for me, when I was working, it was, it felt very lonely. There were only, there was only gimme ninth street espresso and Joe when I started that were doing, you know, quote unquote, good coffee. I'm sure there are some other shops that will take offense to that, but you know, even cafe grumpy hadn't opened yet. And so I was only getting my exposure in my community online, essentially, you know, in the early days of a site, a forum called coffee or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then, so that's sort of spurred me to, to, I wanted to get better. I wanted to understand coffee and there was, I didn't feel like there was a way I could do it locally. So I actually ended up reaching out to the 2005 World Barista Champion, Tim Wendelbow, four, five. I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think five. Forgive me, Tim. Anyway, I reached out to him to just do some training and myself and, and my boss, the owner of Gimme at the time, Kevin Cutterback, we took a trip to Norway and I did a training for a week with, with Tim and in the roastery at Solberg and Hansen and like barista training and just that whole thing. And it was really illuminating and great, but it just touches on like, I didn't know where to go to be better because there wasn't a community really at the time. And I think there is now, I think there's a lot of people doing events. And I think that's true. Largely, it was a much different landscape in, in the mid 2000s. How did you reach out to him? Did you like slide into his MySpace DMs or like, how did that? <laughs> I think I just emailed him. I think I just emailed him. That That is something really different in our current time period where if I want an answer about something in coffee, I mean, I play the coffee idiot on the show uh, when we do education stuff, which is fairly accurate. But if I want an answer to something, like about tamping or about espresso or about whatever, I can go on Instagram or YouTube and find out instantly. I think that's great because I have access to that information, but you actually were kind of forced to kind of find someone and go there, go across the ocean. I almost wonder if that is better because it, it allows you to know that you're serious. I mean, I can dabble in a million different ideas at any given moment now. Sure. But I used to have to work harder to get the information I wanted, which is how I knew I cared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's some truth to that. I think, like like you said, the the access to information now is phenomenal. Like what you can learn and from whom you can learn is amazing. And but there are some downsides to that. I mean, it's a it's an experience that the the trip to Norway is an experience I will always treasure and look fondly on. Like, I think it was, it was a great time and, and it was really, it's hard to, you know, as the jaded old man in coffee now, put myself back in that like 
young, excited barista mindset where, where everything, I don't know, everything mattered. Everything was monumental and everything was exciting. And, and in certain ways, that's unfortunate, but in other ways, I just, it's great that I got to do that because I think sort of to that point, like now you can, you know, you can watch any number of coffee professionals doing what they do on YouTube or wherever and, and get the information, but you didn't, you do it in, in a vacuum in a way, like you don't have, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not eloquent enough to sort of formulate my point, but it's like you're part of the community, but disconnected from it at the same time. Sure. And that's something I actually hear from a lot of guests, um, especially new roasters or new coffee businesses. I do hear that they feel lonely, that they don't really, they learned everything on their own and they didn't have a give and take with somebody or a network that they built up during the learning process. Uh, this show is actually in the top 10 of entrepreneur podcasts in Norway. So you might have some fans over there. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just, Hopefully. I just found that out. It's, uh, it's been a long time since I was there. So I don't know who's going to remember me. If anybody, yeah, it's not in the top 10 in America, but over there, hey, we're doing all right. Making the top 10 is making the top 10. You can count. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was great. Like that sort of idea, like, you know, we were doing it, the Solberg and Hansen roastery. And that was like the first time I saw they have, they had, I don't know what they have now, but two, two 120 kilo probots sitting next to each other. And I was like, wow, you know, like, you know, cupping in their lab with all these, I think, I think Tim had also just won the world cup tasters championship. Cause it was like the really early days of that. So I'm like, this is my first time in a professional cupping and I'm cupping with all these professionals. And, you know, that was intimidating, but you just, you, you do it because you want to learn. And, and, and I told myself in that moment, I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it all. And I'm going to ask the questions because I want to learn if it, if, if it's a stupid question, well, I still needed the answer. And in that whole adage, there are no stupid questions. It's like, there are just questions you don't know. And just ask them because at the end of the day, you have to learn somewhere. Don't be afraid to, find out. I think for me that the problem comes when people feel like they know it all. Mm-hmm. When you, well, you've closed yourself off, you're not going to learn anymore and no one's going to want to tell you anything because you're just like, well, I know I, I, I have it all figured out. And that just like, it doesn't foster growth when, when you're like, oh, I know everything. And you know, I've worked at jobs where I work for people who quote unquote know everything. We say quote unquote a lot. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's like, okay, well, I find myself like not bringing ideas to the table anymore and it gets stagnant, it's boring. And then you, you don't want to work there anymore. You get unhappy. So like Chris and I, I think we really, since we met, we've been really, really good at being like, Hey, that's a dumb idea, but let's go get a drink still like, (laughs) like, or that's a great idea, or you did great. Like we, it's very easy to share and be either vulnerable or like, Hey, I have this idea and be like, Doug, that's not going to (laughs) work. And I think we check in with each other also, you know, we're, we've been, we've been in the industry a long time. We, you know, have egos and we have whatever. And so we keep checking in with each other and saying, Hey, 
whatever I say about this roast or this coffee or this packaging or whatever it is we're talking about in business or even in our personal lives, it's in service of making it better. So don't, we're not taking it personally. It may, it may still be uncomfortable to hear the feedback because you want whatever you're doing to be right and to be good, but we know that it's, we're not attacking each other. Everything that we're doing, even in the tense moments is about making things better. And I've really grown to, to love the negative feedback. Like there are times where I, I would just, every roast I did was once again, quote unquote, so good or the best or delicious. And I'm like, okay, I need some negativity in here so I can improve. Like, and Chris was really one that like, not didn't bring the negativity, but he was just, <laughs> he was just honest. He was like, Hey, let's tweak this. Let's do this. And that's how I learned when I was first starting roasting. And I, I really appreciated that. And I remember, I remember at handsome, I sent coffee to heart and I really looked up to heart at the time and they gave me some really honest feedback. And then I cupped it and I was like, dang it. <laughs> like they, it, it is underdeveloped. Like they're right. And I, I, I couldn't see through my own ego of I'm doing everything right. And so I, yeah, I appreciate the honesty and, and we just, we don't take it personally. we leave it at the door. You are, you're both uh, experienced coffee professionals. Was there ever a path that led you away from coffee? And it's from the sounds of it, you both got your start relatively young. So I'm not making any assumptions there, but you know, I, I'm, I'm in my forties, my early forties. So I feel like I've had like five careers, six careers at this point. Was there ever a chance that you guys would have left coffee and gone a different direction? Or was this always, once you kind of got into it, this was it? Well, I think I'm, I, I just turned 47. And so I've had several careers myself. And in my early days, I was sort of a home coffee nerd like you know looking at home home barista and like learning about stuff and learning proper brewing technique and i went to school to be a recording engineer and as an illustration in music business class because we had to take music business at the end of that class cycle we had to do a presentation on anything we wanted to do related to music business it was a wide open. So my presentation was teaching everyone how to brew a proper cup of coffee because everyone that left that school, that's what they were going to be doing when they got to a studio was making coffee. For everybody. <laughs> um, it was a huge hit, but I sort of should have known at that point. But I went on to you know work in recording for a little while and started in L.A. And then I moved to New York and I was working in a studio and it was just a miserable time for me and for various reasons. And so I stopped. I was having lunch with a friend who I knew from LA who happened to move to New York. And I was like, I have to, I have to leave this. I can't do this anymore. And I have to leave New York cause I can't afford it. And she's like, I can get you a job at the restaurant I work at. Okay. And that's actually where I started making coffee or I should say having an opportunity to make coffee. They had an espresso machine. They kept, you know, five pound bags of, of whole bean in the walk-in refrigerator. And, you know, we're not talking about 
high end spot, but I did my best and it was, it gave me the opportunity to play with coffee. And that was sort of it after that. And the only time I left coffee was after I sold Hanson and I didn't really leave it. I just didn't go right back into it. And now I'm back. For me, I went once I Stumptown had some Stumptown coffee. I was like, oh, this is it. And then I was going to leave coffee after Intelligentsia and Coffee Bar. I called Chris. I think I text Chris, actually. He's like, hey, I'm a free agent. He's like, let's go to lunch. He said I wanted to be a roaster. If if he had said no, then I, I wouldn't be. I was at that point 100% done with being front of house. Like, I didn't want to be... I didn't want to talk to people really, to be totally honest. I I wanted to hide in a room and, but still have there's creativity to coffee that I love. And I I find more creativity in roasting and, and cupping and green and all that stuff. And I just wanted to do it alone with a couple of other people. And yeah, if you would have said no, I, I doubt I would be, I highly, highly doubt I'd be in coffee right now. And that, that changed everything getting, a roasting opportunity. What do you mean by creativity? How, how would you expound on that as far as like what you're doing now and your kind of philosophy towards roasting? How do you infuse creativity into that? I mean, we mentioned earlier kind of the production aspect of it. Um, where does that come from for you? My main thing with creativity is creating the blends. It's my, it's my favorite thing to do, especially once you're in a place size wise to really play around and, 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 get creative i think there's there's also creativity in green buying which chris does and somehow pretty much entirely for the last 12 years we see incredibly eye to eye on green buying but there's there's creativity like uh dialing in your lines like to making the coffee taste good it's super fun for me to roast a new coffee and it it's really the honduras we have a honduras that Chris and I are really proud of. And it's like the most fun I've ever had roasting every time. Like it's the, all the creativity that led up to me choosing to do that line is very like rewarding. I, that, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but I explained <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. so there's that. I think, you know, I want to add, like, I think for roasting uh, outside of actual roast, defect you know you can bake a coffee you can underdevelop a coffee those those things do exist but outside of that for me my philosophy is that how you roast the coffee is your creative choice it's your personal stylistic choice i try to move away from the, the sort of right or wrong dogma of like you should roast light or you should roast dark or whatever i buy the coffees that i think are delicious on the cupping table and we together come up with the roast profiles that we think make those coffees taste delicious. And then Doug consistently hits those profiles, keeping those coffees delicious. So I think, and the, the team is just us. So when you taste that coffee, you are tasting our creative choices. We don't have, you know, a team of five green buyers and, you know, 10 to 15 roasters and, a you know, facilities in multiple parts of the country you're tasting the job that we do for 
better or worse, the mistakes that we make and the triumphs that we, we have. So I think that's how it's creative in terms of, of, of roasting. But I also, I've always, I've long said that coffee as a, as a career, there is a position somewhere in there for every personality type. If you're the extrovert rock star center of attention person, being a barista is so fun and you get the community and the instant gratification of your customers love you and you get to do that every day. And then, you know, there's little things like whatever designing, if you're artistic visually, you can design menus and graphic design for labels. And like, there's just an avenue. If you're the, if you're the sort of more science minded, there's roasting and quality control and, and numbers, you can find everything within the industry that that works for you. You don't have to be a barista. Now, I know that sometimes making those moves can be difficult because there are only so many roaster positions. But, you know, there is there are opportunities for you to explore express yourself and express your creativity. You mentioned earlier that you started uh, this company kind of in the middle of the pandemic. I'm wondering how that impacted your choices. If I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong. You do not have like an operating cafe. You do pop-ups and events and that sort of customer engagement. Was that a reaction to the pandemic or was that just the idea that we wanted to be a roaster first and then what comes, comes? I think both, uh, if, if, if I'm honest. I mean, we, we started it knowing that we already had roasting infrastructure going. So it wasn't a sort of easy thing to do to start with roasted coffee, but also because of the pandemic and because building a cafe is expensive, you know, the overhead is, is crazy. Um, we wanted to just move it slowly and the pandemic sort of forced us to move slowly because in the early days, it's not like you could go out and get sales. Like you just, we just sort of started slowly and did some online stuff and, told our friends in the industry that we were doing something. And, and so there's just a few, few out there at the moment. I think for right quick, the goal is to have our own retail cafe operations. But again, we're, we're not in, we're not sort of steamrolling toward that. We're, we're trying to move slowly and grow comfortably and not strain everything so that it breaks. Yeah. I think, I think Chris and I have a lot of, um, past experiences with put the pedal to the floor and we're old now. (laughs) Um, Like, and it just like you get burnt out. So we're, we're definitely ramping up these last four or five months really. Um, but we took it really, really slow at the beginning and trying to get, get everything right and just grow comfortably and not, you know, we still, we want to grow. Somebody's like, Hey, we're going to order 5,000 pounds a week. We're going to be like, okay. You know, <laughs> but, but we had to get to a place to be comfortable with doing that. And we're, we're there now. I think we're roasting good coffee. Like it's, you know, I think our branding is, is getting to where we want it. And, and we're, you know, we hit coffee, Fest. we kind of thought of coffee fest as our, as our real launch. Um, Coffee Fest LA, we weren't really announcing to people to Los Angeles before that. We just had our Instagram, which is mostly our friends. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, so and how long when was Coffee Quest? Two months ago. So yeah, I guess it's really been like two months since we Yeah, that I think that I agree. I think that was our official sort of you know, coming out party, so to speak. It's we're we're here now and so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think that was a lot of people's coming out party. It was certainly my first time going out to like a big event uh, in a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was certainly the start of something. I wonder for you two, how being entrepreneurs kind of impacts the rest of your life. It takes a certain personality to be willing to take on the risk of it. Obviously you guys are working through this slow and you have a partnership, which I'm becoming more and more envious of as we talk here. (laughs) How does being somebody who has their own business or who is kind of working on their own timeline where if your work doesn't get done, that's really only on you. There's nobody looking over your shoulder. Or if you're not successful, that's also on you. How does that impact the rest of your life in a positive or a negative way? Or just neither, neutral? I think at this point, I have a different approach than than when we did Handsome. It was, it was Handsome was bigger had far more eyeballs we, like we were in every publication and it was there were great moments but it was sort of always there was always a little bit of stress just sort of always lingering and sometimes a lot of stress but there was never this like moment to breathe and that's not to that's not to say that i didn't love a lot of what happened with that and LA loved it. We still get people like, oh man, I loved Handsome, like still. But this is different. I guess, I don't know if it's I'm different or the scenario is different or both, probably both. But we're taking a much more relaxed approach in a, in a sort of healthy or what I think is a healthy approach to it and not letting it overtake our lives certainly our personal lives we're, we're good at leaving it at work in, in, you know yes it all falls in us there's no backup employees you know there's no no way to call in sick or any of that like it has, just has to happen but we're pretty good about well we're going to deal with that problem tomorrow tonight i'm going to have dinner with my wife and like do whatever like i just you know yeah i think I think I've always been pretty good at like when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm, I'm giving it everything I have um, sometimes to the detriment of myself. And then when I'm at home, kind of a work hard, play hard situation, but I'm just not like I'm leaving it. And it is a little bit harder to do that. Uh, in, in like this partnership we have with Los Lilas and, and right quick, because it, you know, I, I do get, you know, more phone calls and texts and Slack uh, at all times, but it's more fun. So I don't think I'm like, this is cool. I had an emergency order yesterday after I was done roasting and already home. And I was like, Hey, Chris, this is happening. I'll let you know. Hey, Chris, I took care of it. Like, and it, it, that used to like really piss me off. Like, why didn't you order on time? And now I'm just like, who cares? Like, (laughs) let's take care of it and move on. 
we got to take care of it anyway. Like, so, right. And so it, who cares? <laughs> and, you know, at, at, on the receiving end of that text, I'm like, okay. And then I know that if we need to go in and roast, well, I'll go in and roast with, you know, we'll pack it up. We'll make it yeah. happen. We'll deliver it. We'll get it there. But I'm not going to worry about it until Doug's like, we got to go in and roast. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Otherwise, I'm just going to go back about my day, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, he's got it handled or I've got it handled. We're not going to, we're not going to fight about it and worry about it. Sure. I like that there are emergency coffee orders. That to me is just amazing. That's a very. (laughs) More often than you would think. Pretty frequently. Like somebody just panics and realizes we are out of coffee and we need it now. I don't want to lose this before we, um, we hit the ceiling on our time today, but you are based in LA. How, how does LA impact what you do with your coffee company and how do you think right quick represents Los Angeles? I think Los Angeles, and I'll just kind of espouse a little commentary, but I wouldn't have known Los Angeles was such an incredible coffee community coming from the Midwest or the, the East coast, but it's, it's almost kind of like, it's like, I think one of the few things Los Angeles does quietly is every single neighborhood seems to have this fantastic coffee roaster or coffee, coffee shop. How do you mm-hmm. find that reflects in what you do and, uh, and how you, you feel about representing LA? I actually, I, I thought about this earlier when you were talking about East coast, West coast, and I'm from the Pacific Northwest and Seattle and Portland have these long storied coffee histories and pretty big coffee egos. And that's what I, I grew up with, you know? And then when I moved to LA in January, 2010, it was like coffee was just starting here. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it had this like freedom that I found at Intelligentsia, like we can do whatever we want that's good there's no you're not pigeonholed like seattle is no i love seattle no offense to coffee up there but it's this narrow it feels very narrow and like kind of lonely like you guys were talking about earlier and in la because it was a little bit late there was a freedom and anybody could kind of do anything they wanted that tasted good and it exploded really fast like I credit Intelligentsia Mm -hmm. big time for just completely changing the scene here in LA. And because it's LA, people saw it and went, that's awesome. I'm going to do it too. And some hit like struck gold and some failed or burned out, but it just kept building and building and building. And it, I've never stopped wanting to be a part of that in LA of, that kind of creativity again, of being able to do a good thing, make coffee taste good, and kind of not care about anything else. Just make it taste good. Yeah, I think for me, right quick, so when I was formulating the idea for this brand, you know, I, I wanted to infuse myself in it without it being a caricature or you know, overly sentimental or something. You know, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. 
And then I moved to Tucson, Arizona. And then I moved to LA, essentially. I, there are a few other places that I mentioned before, but most of my life has been the sort of Southwest. And so the name Right Quick, Right Quick is a, a saying that is very common in Texas, right? You know, it's just a, can I borrow your truck right quick? I need to run to the store. And I just liked that subtle homage, but I also like that it has a meaning like things are going to be done right and they're going to be done quickly. Sort of thinking forward to that that future cafe or something like that. And then the, the sort of brand identity is, is built around the, the color palette and the idea of Southwest sunsets, the sunsets that happen in, in Los Angeles and in the desert of Arizona, things like that. Just things that are part of me that I think are beautiful and, and important and formative of who I am without it being, you know, Johnny Rocket's 50s nostalgia nonsense, you know, like I wanted to put myself in it in a way that was meaningful, but not beat you over the head with it and, and sort of imbue it with that sort of Southwest and specifically Southern California creative energy, but laid back, I'm cool with it attitude, like it's all good. And so that's sort of what it means to me. Like Houston and, and Los Angeles are probably the t two most important cities in my life. And I wanted to have them both in the brand somehow. The Southern California kind of it's all good laid back vibe is deceptive to people outside of Southern California because they think that's all it is. And yet underneath that attitude is this incredible, innovative, like excitement and energy towards creating new businesses and new products, which I think is having been here now for, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, whatever it's been, it is just, I, I'm always just amazed that like, it's, it's not what I expected growing up as a kid somewhere else in the world. Is there anything else today that we didn't cover that you guys want people to know about right quick or, or about yourselves? I think one thing is just like, if you have questions for us or for me specifically, just send them Instagram or whatever. If you want to talk, like, let's talk. I, I, that's one place I've gotten into, into in my coffee career where like, if you want help roasting or guidance or thoughts, whatever, reach out. Like, yeah, I, I don't have ego about that sort of stuff. I just, I want to help like, like Chris helped me or like everybody in intelligentsia that trained me, like, kind of paying that back sort of a deal. If you want to come in and roast with me, like I can't give you any money, but, <laughs> but like, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I don't care. Like, yeah. We, as part of what we wanted to do or what we want to do at right quick is create uh, avenues and open doors for people, particularly people that don't always get doors open for them. There's a lot of people in the industry that look like us. And yes. I think that needs to change a little bit. <laughs> Uh, and I think it is, but I think, you know, if we can do our part to help future roasters or have barista training, whatever it is, whatever you're interested in, let us know, because there's probably a way we can, we can help you learn. And like Doug said, that we can't hire anyone at the moment, but we're happy to let you come and, and 
watch us and ask questions and you know yeah, whatever we'll, we'll give you some coffee <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool Ch- chances are you'll get a bag of coffee <laughs> Okay, well, it's either a two to six hour drive, depending on traffic. So I'll see you soon. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, exactly. I always close out with asking uh, when you guys are out in the world and you're getting a cup of coffee somewhere else, what do you guys order? Oh, that's actually, I know what you order. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't deviate. I basically drink <laughs> espresso and black coffee. I have an espresso and a black coffee at least once a day. I mean, I have my own setup at home. So every morning I make a cappuccino for my wife and an espresso for myself. And then we have filtered coffee along with that. And when I go out, it's most often black coffee. And depending on the shop I'm at, I might also do an espresso. I will do a, a, a personal rant for myself, just purely for me. I don't love natural processed coffees. <laughs> to, I don't love to consume natural processed coffees. I don't want to you know, get into an argument about naturals and where they sit in, in the world of coffee, but I don't love to consume them. And so I don't like when a shop has them on espresso, but it is not noted that it's a natural. I do not like the surprise natural espresso. <laughs> That's just my personal thing. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. If, if I'm checking out a shop, I agree with Chris about the naturals though. Like, just let me know. If I'm checking out a shop, it's an espresso and, and a drip. Almost consistently, I just get a drip. That's my by far favorite way to drink coffee. It's not even close. But, you know, I love a little like Cortado too, depending on the shop and my trust level <laughs> in said <laughs> shop. Uh, I'll probably get a Cortado. <laughs> but yeah, a drip. Just classic easy and when it's good it's so good <laughs> i really appreciate both of you taking time to be on the show with me and, and share part of this this part of your journey uh coffee journey with us and and uh, i'm looking forward to trying more right quick i had some of your coffee from coffee fest and really enjoyed it and uh, just thanks for being here guys thank you so much yeah this was thank you super fun. thanks for having us Okay, to recap, both Chris and Doug admittedly say quote-unquote a lot. They also both took distinct paths through coffee until meeting at Intelligentsia in Pasadena in 2010. For a time, Intelligentsia was one of the names in third-wave craft coffee. They inspired a generation of coffee shops that came up very quickly behind them. They were so successful that a majority of Intelligentsia was purchased by the German-based JAB Holding Company, which was Big Coffee News. They also own a majority of Pete's Coffee, Caribou Coffee, Stumptown, Curie Green Mountain, and even Krispy Kreme. But I digress. The point being that Christopher and Doug were on the forefront of a quickly growing wave of coffee, both of whom were seeking more and more answers for their coffee questions. Their paths diverged for a while before coming back together at Handsome Coffee. They diverged again before coming back together once again to roast under the Lost Lila banner and now Right Quick Roasters. Part of their partnership involves being willing to share and, in Doug's words, be vulnerable. They also need to check in on one another to make sure that they're both on the same page. Sometimes honesty can be uncomfortable, but that doesn't make it personal. They're working together in service of the coffee and to ensure that they are ready to grow when the opportunity arises. 
When it does, you can be sure that the coffee they put out will be a reflection of their creative choices. Finally, if you find yourself in need of a coffee mentor or have a question about coffee, maybe reach out to Christopher and Doug. They are open to share what they've learned and pay forward all the experience they've gleaned over the years. I'm going to share more about Right Quick Roasters, business partnerships, and some not-from-the-show coffee content in the Roast West Coast Coffee Newsletter, which can be found on roastwestcoast.com. And of course, don't forget to head to rightquick.la to order that Honduras roast while you can and follow at rightquickcoffee on Instagram to stay on top of what they're roasting today, where they can be found, and occasionally how the dogs feel about the whole operation. Now on to our closing business. Did you know that this podcast is a listener and reader-supported creative effort? It's true. There are a bunch of crazy cool people who subscribe to the paid version of the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. You're probably getting sick of hearing that URL. If you've been enjoying this episode or the 120-some that came before it, please consider subscribing. The podcast is always free, but damn if I don't appreciate the support. That comes every time a new name shows up on that subscriber roll. Thank you to everyone on that list. I also have a few key coffee industry partners who I depend on for expertise and a bit of financial support. That said, I've been lucky enough to only partner with brands I really believe in and feel good telling you to support. You can find links to those partners in the show notes, in each newsletter post, and even right on the front page of roastwestcoast.com. So a special shout out to Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Morea Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Ascend Coffee Roasters, and Steady State Coffee Roasting, who also have their own monthly newsletter, which you should definitely follow. I'll link to that in the newsletter. Coffee Cycle Roasting is in the Pacific Beach neighborhood of San Diego, and this Sunday they're hosting a local maker's market. I hope to see you there. I'll be the one giving out free stickers. Thank you all for listening and supporting this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.